God, a mighty God. And as the choir reminds us that you do answer us when we pray. And so, God, we come today seeking your faith. Face, we pray for your anointing upon this preacher, upon the hearers of your word. Anoint our hearts, our ears, our minds, our lives, that we may grow deeper in our relationship to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen. I am so very, very, very excited about what God is doing in the lives of his people here at the Good Hope Church. And I hope that you are as well. Once again, 1 Samuel chapter 30, just a few of the verses that Pastor Harris read. So uh, verse 8, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall, shall surely overtake them, and without fail will cover all. So David went, he and 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besar, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the book Bresor. I want to continue today in this series of sermons entitled, Finding Hope When Things Seem Hopeless. Finding Hope where, when, when Things Seem Hopeless. We have journeyed uh, through the past couple of sermons uh, in this series um, talking about David, and we talked about uh, he, how he was rejected by King Achish, uh, the Philistine and the Philistines commanders. And as a result, David and his troops traveled back to their headquarters located in Ziglag, only to find Ziglag burned to the ground and their wives and children gone. That presented them with a pretty hopeless situation. David and his men, the Bible tells us, lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more tears to cry. David was greatly distressed over the reality that the 600 men who followed him faithfully had taught, were now talking about stoning him. And the Bible says David strengthened himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord. When he hit this hopeless time in his life, he went to God, his source of strength, his source of inspiration, and his source of encouragement. When there was no one else around to encourage David, David found strength and encouragement in the Lord. And that ought to tell us something, that, that sometimes when there's no one else around, sometimes we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And that's what David did. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And then he inquired of the Lord concerning what to do next. Because at this point, David didn't really know what to do. He was, ki- he was the anointed king over Israel. He was a smart man. He, 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 he had encountered God. But he was humble enough to admit that, God, I just don't know what to do. At this point. And how many times in our lives have we gotten to the point where we just looked up to heaven and we said, God, I'm at this junction. I don't know what to do. If I'm going to make it, God, you need to tell me what to do because I don't know. 
I don't know. And so David inquired of the Lord, talking about how to find hope when things seem hopeless. Just inquire of the Lord. And the Lord answered David, as, as, as the choir sang in the DVD, when, when we cry out to Jesus, he will answer us. Prayer is not an exercise in fertility. Prayer is an exercise of faith and confidence that when we call upon God, he will answer. And so in verse 8, David inquired of God, uh, called upon the Lord, and then the Lord answered David in verse 8 saying, Pursue. For you shall surely overtake them without fail, recover all. David went to God in his distress, and God said, David, pursue. I'm guaranteeing it. I'm backing you up. I'm telling you that you will recover all. Isn't it wonderful when God guarantees us in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits when God says you will be made well. You will go to Haiti. You will be successful. You will, you will, you will. And so it was in verse 9, David went. He and the 600 men who were with him. But notice now, when David went to God in verse 8, his men went with him in verse 9. Isn't that wonderful? David went to God in in verse 6. He was full of himself. In verse 8, he was full of God. He went and his men went with him. When David reconciled himself with God in verse 8, his men reconciled themselves with him. In verse 9, what's the lesson here? The lesson is that lives lived outside of the parameters of God's sovereign will constantly produce broken relationships, broken dreams, and broken hearts. And inevitably, broken lives. There's no way around this biblical truth. That lives lived outside of the will of God produces brokenness. Survey biblical as well as historical data, if you will, and you will discover that there are no exceptions to the rule. Study the lives of people who spent their lives living in rebellion against God's word against God's will and against God's way, and you will find a miserable lot whose coffers are filled with this world's junk, but whose lives are spiritually bankrupt, void of the joys of Jesus. In other words, they may have a lot of stuff. On the outside, they may appear to be having a great, a grand celebration but their lives are spiritually bankrupt and they are void of the joy of Jesus Christ yet when people when we reconcile with God this is the good news when we reconcile with God this is the good news when the prodigal son decided to come home This is good news when we get it right with God, when we make up our minds to do life God's way. 
He has a way of granting us peaceful resolve, even in the most stressful situations. Let me interject just three things about God's peaceful resolve. First, sometimes God's peaceful resolve means the alleviation, the eradication, or the elimination of trials and tests and the troubles that are in our ways. That sometimes God brings peace that way. He just gets the trouble out of our lives. Anybody been that way? You, you've had trouble, you have difficulty, and God just, his peace alleviates, eradicates, eliminates the trials and the troubles. That's called God's external peace. External peace is when God decides to move your mountain. Is there anybody here you can say God has moved some mountains for you, trouble in your way, had to cry sometime, lie awake at night, that's all right. Jesus will fix it after a while, and he removes that mountain. But secondly, there is God's internal peace. Internal peace is when God allows us to go through tedious, tumultuous, or even turbulent times. Internal peace is when God allows the mountain to stay there. Yet while you are going through, God grants you peace that surpasses all understanding. For example, God grants his supernatural assurance, that's internal, internal peace, while sitting in the doctor's office. I've had people share with me, Pastor, I was in the doctor's office and I wasn't worried. His supernatural peace, his supernatural assurance while sitting in the doctor's office, while standing in the courtroom, while getting your taxes done, that peace that says all is well. Everything is under God's sovereign control. Standing in your supervisor's office, all is well. Everything is under God's sovereign control. Standing in the midst of people who are confused by chaos, conflict, and you have God's internal peace because you know that God has everything under his sovereign control. You know your life has been inundated, saturated, and penetrated with God's internal peace when you can honestly say, I'm facing a crisis I can't fix. I'm up against a mountain I can't move. I'm down in the valley trying to make my way out. I'm in this difficult situation, but I'm not worried because I know God's got it. Maybe it's an uncertainty on the family front. Maybe it's an uncertainty on the career front. Maybe it's an uncertainty on the economic front. Maybe it's an uncertainty on the health front. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. You don't know exactly how things are going to turn out. But God's internal peace causes us to truthfully say after him knowledge Just Horatio Spafford wrote when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea fillers roll, whatever my lot, whatever's on the table, whatever my lot, whatever people say, 
whatever my life, regardless of how I feel, it is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. Whatever my lot, thou has taught me to say, God has taught me to say, in the midst of conflict, chaos, and confusion, in uncertain times, God has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. God's internal peace is supernatural peace a supernatural manifestation of God's tranquility, God's serenity, God's calmness that speaks a message of contentment to our world and to our would-be troubled souls. And internal peace says to us, relax. God's in control. Internal peace says, relax. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Internal peace says, relax. You in the loving and caring hands of God. And as he has done before, he'll do it again. As he has worked it out before, he'll work it out again. He changes not. Great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. But third, sometimes God's peaceful resolve happens both externally and internally. That is, God calms things down on the outside by removing the conflict, the chaos, and confusion, dispelling aggravation, irritations, and annoyances, then granting peace on the inside due to the removal of trouble on the outside. Praise his holy name. So it was in verse 8, David experienced God's internal peace. For God promised that he would overtake his enemies and he would recover all without fail. But then in verse 9, David experienced God's external peace when he and his men were reconciled together. Verse 9 states, so David went. So David went. I like that. That's something in there. It says, so David went. In other words, when David got the word from God, he didn't sit back, but he went. When God told David what to do, he didn't sit around twiddling his thumbs, but he went. When God told David what to do, he didn't call a board meeting and ask everybody their opinion and what they thought about it, but David just went. Verse 9 says, David went, and we ought to learn something about that. When God tells us something in his word, when God affirms his word in our spirit, we ought to just go and do whatever it is God is calling us to do. So excited when... The Argos, Brother Michael and Sister Violet say, came and said, Pastor, we, we, we know some missionaries. 
and, 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 and they put us in contact with, contact with the tailors, and they, they came to church, and they, they talked about Haiti, but, but at the same time they came, God was stirring up a fire within Pastor Stevens, a, a desire, an unquenchable fire to, to take a mission trip, and, and wanted to go to Haiti, and God brought them together, and then God stirred up in the midst of our congregation. That's all of you sitting here today, a desire a passion to do what we can do to impact the world of Haiti. And so you know what? You went. You went. And I, I love that about Good Hope. When God gives us a word on discipleship, Pastor Harris, to expand our discipleship and to do discipleship training, we don't sit back and come up with reasons why we can't do what God has called us to do, but we get up and we go because God has called us to go. We believe what God says. So David went. He and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. Notice verse 10 of the text. But David pursued he and 400 men. For 200 men stayed behind. Are you getting this? David and 400 men pursued for 200 men stayed behind why they were so weary so tired that they could not cross the brook Besor. now remember these men had been fighting they had been running from Saul they had been fighting the Philistines and now all of a sudden they come they find their city their town burned down and they go after them but 200 of these men are just so tired that they can't go any further but David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besar. wait a minute you mean to tell me David that you are willing to leave 200 men behind you mean to tell me, David, that you're not ranting and raving? You mean to tell me, David, that you're not trying to coax them, encourage them, lay a guilt trip on them as to why they are not going? You mean to tell me, David, you're not beating them down? You mean to tell me, David, that you're not running over them? You mean to tell me, David, that you're not telling them how lazy they are, how no good they are, how incompetent they are? mean tell me that you're willing to leave 200 men behind and take just 400 men into battle against the treacherous enemy force that has already burned your town down and taken your wives and your children you see David was no novice he knew that the enemies in that region rolled deep there so there he was in one clip losing a third of his troops. Nevertheless, verse 10 states, but David pursued he and 400 men. Why such a bold move? Why such a confidence cadence? 
Why such a positive posture? I'll tell you why. Look back at verse 8. Where God, where God, where God said to David, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Why, good hope, should you go to Haiti? Why should you go in the threat of violence? Why should you go in the threat of health care issues? Why should you go? God said, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and recover all. David moved forward with the mission because he heard from God. Are you listening to me, good hope? Move forward with the mission because you have heard from God. And because he believed God. Hearing from God is one thing. Believing God is something else. We hear from God, but we must believe God and act on our beliefs. We heard from God what Jesus did for us on Calvary Cross. He suffered and bled and died to save us from our sin. That's what communion is about. But when we believe God, we trust in him with all of our hearts, our minds, our total being. You see, you see, our church, Good Hope Mission and Baptist Church, has heard from God. We have heard God speak in and through his word and into our hearts, his desire for us to lead people to Jesus. That's called evangelism. To teach people how to become more like Jesus. That's called discipleship. To engage the world through missions. That's called outreach. And to build strong families. Not only has he told us to go to pursue, he has said to us, watch this now, and lo, I'm with you. I'm with you in Haiti. I'm with you on on 17 at Christ's coast clothes and cake. I'm with you as you develop your discipleship. I'm with you always. Low means you can count on my presence. Low means surely. Low means absolutely. Low means certainly. Low means definitely. I'll be with you even until the end of the age. So whether you have 400 men, 4,000 men, 400,000 men or women, You go as David did. You go, good hope. Whatever God is telling you to do, you go, good hope. You go, my brothers and sisters in Christ. You go because Jesus has promised never to leave you alone. You go because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You go because you know the plan God has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You go, good hope, because you know that God's grace, God's amazing grace is sufficient for all your needs. 
You go because you know that come what may, God works all things together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. But most of all, you go because Jesus paid your sin debt. Way back on Calvary's cross. He died to set you free. He rose to give you the victory. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. He sought me. When I was living a life of sin, he sought me. And he brought me with his redeeming.